Well, good morning, Fairfax Bible Church. How are you this morning? Good? You good? All right, I thought I came on a bad morning. I was, I was waiting for it. Well, it's great to be here with you this morning. My family and I would uh, like to thank you for inviting us down. We always enjoy a good ride down I-95 to get away. And you're giving us some good practice. We have a new addition to our family that we did not know was showing up, but God knew he was showing up. The youngest child, Avi, is here with us today. And so he was good on the way down for the road trip. We'll see what happens on the way back. Because when he performs, he can perform. And I'm here with my wonderful uh, wife, Adina, and my daughter, Addison. We are excited to be here uh, with you this morning. Uh, now, if you can, uh, and, and well, will you, excuse me, turn to Acts 16 with me this morning. Acts 16 will be in between verses 6 through 10. And before we get started, I want to give you a big thank you. I know we haven't been able to get as many updates out as we want to. Um, thank you so much for supporting us uh, in the church planning journey up in West Philadelphia. Uh, we would have loved the story to be written in a different way, but today we're going to talk about this a little bit more on how God is sovereign and he can write the story any way he likes to. Amen? Amen. And so, um, pending upon his grace, we're still working through this. But pending upon his grace, we are looking and we know that this is the best thing that God could do for us. We're still working through the emotions of the plant not making it. But we want to thank you for being a partner and jumping out there in faith with us. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through this passage this morning. Can I pray for us? Let me pray. God, uh, thank you so much for the chance to gather with the body of believers this morning. Thank you so much for songs that remind us about how, how powerful your grace is in our life, uh, about how powerful you have been to put your hands on us, about how challenging it is at times to wait for you, but we know it's the best thing to do. We will wait for you until our souls are satisfied. So this morning, we pray that we get a healthy meal from the word. Lord, I pray that I may decrease and you may increase. I pray that you hide me behind the old rugged cross. I pray that the Holy Spirit uses my mouth and all that you've prepared this, uh, this week to speak to this church this morning, to energize them, to let them know that you have your eyes and your hands on them to move them forward in the mission that you have for them. But all in all, the thing that we really want to happen is we want them to be formed and shape and function after your glory because your glory is of the utmost importance. So will you be with us this morning? Will you lead us? Will you guide us? And it's in Jesus' name we pray and we thank you. Amen. Now, Albert Einstein has a famous quote that many of you may know. The quote is this, everything should be made as simple as possible, but no simpler. Let me say that again. Everything should be made as simple as possible, but no simpler. In this quote, Einstein was saying that it is desirable to keep even the most complex things as simple as they can be. But when you simplify them, you want to simplify them without losing something of the essence of those things. But that some things cannot be reduced to something simpler as they lose something of vital importance. I'll give you the quote one more time. Everything should be made as simple as possible, but no simpler. 
Now, let me invite you into a little bit of my madness and what goes on in my life. Over the years, I've become playfully frustrated with myself because there are a lot of things that have been made simple for me, but for some reason, I still can't get to grasp them. I can't remember them, and some of you may be in the same boat as me. If not, and you're better than me, I understand that. But let me explain some of the things that have been made very simple for me, but yet are not easy. And now if you are in the boat with me, you can repeat and you can join in with me. I after E, except after I was on my way down here and I was ordering sandwiches for the family and I was asking them to cut this hoagie into eight P P I I after E, except after C. I needed to do it. Let me give you one more. Righty tighty lefty. Okay, all right, there we go. Righty tighty, lefty Lucy. There's, there's only two times when I really forget my right from my left. The one time is when I'm working with a screwdriver. It's righty tighty. Okay, which way is right? Lefty Lucy, okay. And the other time is when my wife is in the passenger seat and we are driving somewhere I've never been before and she has an amazing sense of direction and she says, turn right, turn right, turn right. And I start to turn the wheel left and she says, Darren, that's not right. You don't know your right from your left. Let me give you another one. Uh, my daughter has this fascination with rainbows, and she would ask me sometimes, Daddy, what are the colors of the rainbow? And I was, there's a little splash of green in there, a little bit of red, right? And so I couldn't remember the colors of the rainbow. Roy G. Biv, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo. Did I get that right? Violet. Is that right? Violet is the purple. That's right. All right, let me give you one more before we move on. How do you spell Mississippi. M I crooked letter crooked letter I crooked letter crooked letter I P P I. And so what we realize is that there are many things that are made simple in our lives for us, but just because they're made simple, don't make them easy. In fact, the reason why they needed to be made simple is because people realize that somebody's going to get tripped up on this. Some dad is going to be asked the colors of the rainbow, and he's not going to be able to answer him, and his daughter's going to tell him, Dad, you're no fun at all. <laughs> Somebody's going to have to spell Mississippi, and they're going to make it four letters in, and they're just going to give up. The things that are made simple for us are made simple for us because if they're not, we won't be able to grasp them in the way that we need to grasp them. But just because they're simple doesn't mean that they're easy. And today in our text, we come across one of the most simplest principles in the Christian faith that are not easy for many, that is not easy for many of us. Paul and Silas are on a missionary journey, and they're going on this journey, and they run into this principle of the Christian faith. And the principle is simply this, God is sovereign. Now, you can read many theological books. You can look in the back of your Bible. You can get a dictionary definition for sovereign, and you can realize the definition for sovereignty has been made simple for us. But just because it's been made simple doesn't mean that it's easy. If I put it on a multiple choice test for you, if I put it on a true or false test for you, is God, or, is God sovereign, true or false? All of us who understand doctrine the right way would check it off. Yes, God is sovereign. But do we check it off that easy in our lives when it's time to live it? Do we check it off that easy 
in our lives when God is taking us through something and we definitely believe we could write a better story than he is writing? Do we definitely check it off that easy when we feel like God is trying to grow us in some areas and he's telling us, take your hands off of that, take your hands off of that and let my sovereignty work? No, we don't because just because it's simple doesn't make it easy. Well, today our text has one big idea, and that big idea is this. Paul and Silas are escorted by the sovereignty of God and reach their final definition through submission to the Holy Spirit. If we learn how to live under and grasp and operate through the simplicity of God's sovereignty, and if we accompany that with the sweetness of submission— then we will arrive at the places that God wants us to be that we never thought we would be, that we never had any intention on going. But when we get there, we thank God that he's gotten us there and that we've arrived. And so Paul and Silas are on this missionary journey. Let me read it for you. Acts 16, verses 6 through 10. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. And Galatia. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit, keep that word, circle that word in your Bible, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had to come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. Circle that word to attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Now the first thing that we see here, this may be a shocker. But the first point that we get here as we look at Paul and Silas step off on this missionary journey, the first point we see is that all ministry isn't good ministry. What do you mean? We live in a culture where it's preach the gospel everywhere you go. Take the gospel everywhere you go. Do the works of the gospel everywhere you go. Live the gospel everywhere you go. Everywhere, everywhere, everywhere you go. Take the gospel with you. But we see here in this alarming passage right here that Paul and Silas were just obeying the call and they were trying to take the gospel into the regions of Phrygia and Galatia. And watch this. It says, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you. There's a lot of nice ways to say no. Is I'd rather you not go that way. Or no thank you, Paul and Silas, turn around. Paul and Silas, won't you think about this through a different perspective? Paul and Silas, don't you think you would rather go another way? But no, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit forbid them. Now, all my parents in here who have teenagers... And all my husbands and wives in here who thought their spouse was their teenager, you know that if you were in an argument or in a discussion and you use the word forbid, that just heightens everything. That just that People are looking and say, okay, this is going to escalate quickly. These is, uh, I, I forbid you to do this. This word forbid, is, it has a weight to it. It has a heaviness to it. It has a, a, a somebody saying, let me show you who the authority is here. And I sat back for a minute when I was uh, uh, thinking about this and I thought about how uh, me and my wife, we have these differences. And, you know, my, my wife is just a little, excuse me, like we, we, we call her sophista ratchet. That means she's sophisticated and a little ratchet at the same time. If you don't know what ratchet is, look it up on Urban Dictionary after the service, right? She's just a little bit in between, right? So she'll do little things like, oh, my gosh, I forgot I left something in the car. And it'll be 12 o'clock midnight. And listen, guys, we don't live in the 
Starbursts. We live in Philadelphia. And she's grabbing her keys and she's walking out, hair all tied up, getting ready to go to the car. And I look at her and I say, where are you going? I forgot to go get something out of the car. It's 12 o'clock at night. It's midnight. Do you see how dark it is outside? Yes, Darren, but I forgot to go get something in the car. If I ever tried to say, I forbid you, it'll be a long night in the Greenfield house. Because that word forbid is only made for people who have a certain kind of authority. That word forbid is only used in extreme circumstances. That word forbid has a kind of weight that you only throw down every once in a while. But get this, the Holy Spirit forbids them. But he doesn't only forbid them from going to the place where he was going. Look at what the passage says. By the Holy Spirit, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. God, you're going to stop me from going to proclaim the word? Yeah, I forbid you. But this word is about your glory. I know that. I forbid you. But this is what you have called us to do. Yeah, I may have called you to do it, but not there. I forbid you. And they're sitting there and they're getting ready to make their own plans to do something good for God. And God says, no, 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 no. That's not your job. Don't go there. Stop where you are right now. And it reminds us that all ministry isn't good ministry. There's some ministry that you can show up with the best of intentions. But you're out of bounds. You're out of your boundary line. There's some ministry that you can show up and you can want to, to preach Christ to somebody all you want. And God says, that's not for you. Don't go there. There's some places that you want to go and some things that you're going to want to do as a church. But what God is going to say is he's going to shut doors there and say, I forbid you from taking my name there. Why? Because it's not your job. You know, God got a little parent in them. When I was coming up and you asked why, my mom used to say to me, I don't have to explain why to you. And God didn't have to explain why to them. I forbid you. So all ministry isn't good ministry. Why isn't all ministry good ministry? It's simply this. All ministry isn't good ministry because all ministry isn't our ministry. If you could do it all, as a church, if all the ministry in the world was for you, if all the ministry in Fairfax County was for you, if all the ministry in this region was for you, God wouldn't need to call any other believers or any other pastors, any other churches to this area. Everything's not for everybody. And so as you go through this process where you are searching for your pastor, as you go through this process in this transition, one of the things that you want to make clear is, God, as you pick out who's going to come and lead us, and matter of fact, God, we don't even have to wait until you pick out who is going to come and lead us. Let us know what ministry is our ministry. Where, would, where should we put our hand to the plow and where should we take it off? This is humbling for me because I actually lived this when God church closed our church plan. I felt like God was saying this to me. This ain't for you. You tried it. You got it up for some reason. We don't know why. God is saying this isn't it. God, all we want to do is preach the gospel. Well, this isn't it. God, I think I know the context. Well, this isn't it. God, do you see on the news that we have over 300 murders in the city already this year? Well, this isn't for you. God, come on, Lada. listen, I'm ready. I'm available. I'm able. This isn't for you. Darren, no, I forbid you. And now watch this. After we realize that all ministry isn't good ministry, we look at them in verse 2 and we hear about a voice 
And we see a vision and we learn something about value. Look at verse 9 with me. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, now, now watch this. We can get so practical with ministry that we feel like we can write the play of what's next down on a paper napkin or in a playbook on a board. And we can know where we're going. But look at what the passage is saying for Paul and them. Go back in to verse uh, 6 with me. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden. When you look at that in the, in, in the Greek, in its original context, what happened was Paul and Silas weren't sitting mapping out their journey and saying, wait a minute, I think God is telling us that we can't go here. What's actually happening is Paul and Silas are actually walking, getting ready to go down the road to head to these places and God says stop not that way and what we realize is that if we're really going to be able to grasp the sovereignty of God we have to have a sensitivity to hear the Holy Spirit when he whispers things that need to turn us quickly and take us into other areas or other directions or other places but in order for us to hear the Holy Spirit the right way we can't ask God to continuously turn his voice up over the noise we have to turn the noise down. So I can imagine Paul in their heart, Paul and Silas's heart. God, we want to preach the gospel. We want to preach the gospel. I forbid you, I forbid you sooner or later, the voice of what they want to do has to begin to decrease in volume so they can clearly hear the Holy Spirit. Now, this ain't all about church and where you're going as a church. This is about you and your individual lives also. What voice is talking to you saying, go that way? And what is God saying, I forbid you, I forbid you? What do you have to turn down in your life to grasp the sovereignty of God and the way that it needs to be grasped? What do you have to turn down in your life to make sure you are hearing the small, still voice of the Holy Spirit? What do you have to turn down to make sure you aren't asking God to talk over the volume instead of you turning the volume down. Now, listen, I love music. I, I, I love music, and, and, and we're in verse 9 here. And um, when I'm riding in the car, I, I, I like to have my music loud. I, I like to have it loud, maximum volume. In fact, my wife actually tried to play me one day and go into the speaker settings and turn the volume down halfway. So when I turn it loud, it's really not that loud. I like loud music. Now, there are a few voices that when I am in the car listening to loud music, imagine if I was riding in the car listening to loud music and my wife or my daughter were like, I have to tell you something. And I was like, hi, can you say it louder? I need to tell you something. Well, you're going to have to speak over the music. If I continue to let the music blast and make them speak over the music, I am setting the precedence for whose voice is more important. The voice of the music is more important. That's why you have to speak over the music. But no, what happens in a loving relationship, in a relationship when somebody has priority over the music, what you do is you turn the music down. And Paul and Silas had to turn some music down. They had to turn the music of their plans down. They had to turn the music of their intentions down. And they had to lean on the high spiritual things of the Holy Spirit. Listen, they hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. 
the first time in verse 6, and then they go to Mysia, and they try to go into Bithynia. They make another attempt to go another place, and then it says, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So one place says the Holy Spirit, and then the other one says the Spirit of Jesus, and scholars believe why there's a difference here before we fully jump into verse 9 is because Paul and Silas were prophets, and these were uh, 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 bits of prophecy that they were getting from the Holy Spirit. That one prophecy was the Spirit saying to them, no, don't go there. And then the other one, they think while they were traveling through, that there was, there was a prophecy of Jesus in Jesus' name saying, don't go there. Don't go that way either. They are relying on the spiritual things of life. And so often, especially as American Christians, I feel like in order for us to get God's direction, God got to put everything on paper. He got to write it on a chalkboard. But there's sometimes that God is going to say, I'm not going to communicate through you through paper. I want to communicate through you through my spirit. And what we have to do is we have to stop ourselves all the time. Now, listen, where you fall is where you fall. But sometimes we can just be a little too conservative as believers. And if somebody came to you and said, the spirit of God told me, you'd be like chapter and verse for that spirit, please. The Spirit of God told you, okay, what text did the Spirit of God tell you to? What part of doctrine does that line up into? But Paul and Silas are just walking, and the Spirit is checking them, and they're getting prophecies, and they're leading. They didn't say they pulled out a book. They are being led by the Spirit. And may I say to you, being led by the Spirit is something that you have to you have to, to, to work at it. You know, the, the Bible says don't quench the Holy Spirit. That means if you can quench the Holy Spirit, then there's some things that you have to do to make sure that the Holy Spirit is flowing through you. The scriptures say be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that means if you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that means that some of us can be walking around empty because we're not continuously meeting with the Spirit. Everything's not going to be on paper. Some things are just going to come through the Spirit, and it happens again in verse 9. And in verse 9, we see a vision. We've talked about the voice, and we see value. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And you see what's happening here? In verse 6, the Spirit is forbidding them, holding them back, stopping them. Barring them, telling them, no, don't go that way. And then they get this vision here that is urging them and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. This was big for me this week because you know what? I've been asking God, God, where are you taking me next? I've been asking God, God, what are you doing next? I've been asking God, God, when do I get to serve you next? And the Holy Spirit convicted me in the midst of this passage and he said, Darren, not one time have you asked me, God, who should I go help? And the man from Macedonia says, listen, you wanted to go over there and preach the gospel to those people. The Holy Spirit is saying you wanted to go preach the gospel to those people, but those people weren't calling for you to help. But this man of Macedonia is saying, come and help us. Fairfax, Fairfax, who is God telling you to go and help? Who is calling out for your help? Who is the spirit leading you to help? The man from Macedonia is saying, listen, I know you wanted to go over there. I know you had travel plans to go up into all these regions. I know you wanted to do some good things over there, but those good things may have ended up on the dessert table for those people, but we need you to come over here and be the main dish for us. Will you come and help us? 
a part of God's sovereignty I was reading in Oswald Chambers this week. And he says, there's a big difference when you understand, uh, you, you grow in your maturity of Christianity when you get past the point where you just want to be used. God, just use me, just use me, just use me, just use me. Until you grow into the point that you don't want to do anything that's not going to bring God glory. It's not about just being used, it's about glory. Because there are a lot of places where you can be used and God's not getting glory. There are a lot of places where you can go to make yourself feel good, but God's not getting glory. There are a lot of things that you can pick up as a church and you can do it in the name of Jesus, but God is not getting glory. Paul and them were on their way to be used, but God wasn't going to get glory there. This man from Macedonia is calling. He's saying, come and help us. Come and help us. We see the voice. We see the vision. And the value is about who God is calling you to help. Now, let me tell you why this is hard for a lot of us as believers. Because we have such a great commission, and because we want to see God do so many things through our churches in our lives, we have this tendency to always be generalist instead of specialist. That we will participate in something generally. That we will be there, I'll lend a hand wherever God is telling me to lend a hand. But times God calls us to go deeper. And what happens is if you're going to be a specialist and stop being a generalist, then you have to put some things down that are on the fringe and concentrate on just those things that are very important. And what Paul and them had to abandon is they had to abandon this worldwide tour of the gospel. They had to abandon having a far reach and they had to get that out of their hands to make sure that they were drilling down narrow and only working on the things that matter. And may I say to you, you are as a church are going through a God sent transition and some of you have been functioning as generalists and maybe God wanted you there for a little bit. But now you have to dig in and you have to narrow down. What's going to be your specialty? Who are you going to help? When you're putting your labor into something, who are you going to be identified that God told me to go help these people with this thing or be on ministry for this reason, to pray for this exact thing? When are the general things going to be left to the fringes and you drill down and you focus on what's specific? And what God is telling them to do is to focus on what's specific. And the hard thing about focusing on what is specific is a lot of times some of us don't like to leave voids. Say, man, I've been serving here so long and, you know, I'm doing two weeks in the kids ministry or, you know, I do every fifth Sunday in the kids ministry. And I really love to do that. And God is saying, leave it. Leave it. I'm not telling you to leave it and go being lazy. I'm telling you to leave it because I have something else for you to do. Well, God, I can't find anybody else to take my place. It's not your job to find anybody else to take your place. God didn't tell Paul and Peter, uh, Paul and Silas, now before you go the other way, go find somebody else to send the way that you were told not to go. He said, no, I'm going to handle that. If I'm telling you to go somewhere, then you understand you just go there. I'm going to find the person that takes your place. Another thing that stops us from being generalist and going into being uh, having specific ministry or being specialist is we don't understand the value of where God is taking us. 
we don't understand how much better it's going to get when we're down on going down this road. We don't understand how much more fruitfulness we're going to get. And this is the reason why, because we don't yet understand that God does not care about busyness. He cares about fruitfulness. If you're going to stay busy and not get any fruit, and mind you, we don't get to decide what fruit is. Sometimes I think we call things fruit that aren't fruit. God gets the label what fruit is, and God is saying, listen, I can put you over there, Paul and Silas, all you want. I can sit you over there. I can let you go over there, but the best thing you're going to do over there is be busy. I want to take you somewhere where the fruit needs to happen. And so this man is urging them, and he's saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And then we get into our last and our final point. We look at the urgency of calling. When Paul had seen the vision, look at the language, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Do you notice that the man we revere so much in Paul in the scriptures That nothing in this passage about them starting off on their second missionary journey, that we don't see anything about calling until verse 10. That means when Paul was trying to figure out this missionary journey, he was just trying to figure it out. He was just going and saying, okay, well, maybe we'll go this way, and we know we're going to preach the gospel, and maybe we'll go that way, and we know we're going to preach the gospel, or maybe we'll go this way. The man we revere the most did not have a definite game plan on what was coming up next. And matter of fact, what's so challenging about this is Paul says in in, in verse 10, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. What's even stranger is that God didn't give him all the pieces when he left. He had to bump his head and be denied over here. Had to bump his head and be denied over there. He had to hear no there. He had to hear no. It's okay to leave without all the pieces. Because Paul had to put it together through being spoken to by the Holy Spirit, through being turned around and being told, no, don't go there. And then in verse 10, it says that he concluded that now God was calling him, that he didn't have the map all in his hand. He was saying, God, you can send me wherever you want to send me. You can go. I think I should go here. And God is saying, no, I think I should go there. And God is saying, no. And finally, he hears this man from Macedonia and God is all of a sudden saying, yes, it's okay. To not have it figured out. And I think one of the things that you can do as a church, especially where society has taken taken us, is we're asking people who are 20-something years old, what's your 10-year plan? What's your five-year plan? We're asking kids when they're seven or they're eight years old, what do you want to be when you grow up? What kind of question is that to a seven-year-old? I understand hopes and aspirations and dreams, right? I, I, I get that. But when you are 20 years past the age now, what do you want to be? And we make people try to figure it out. But God leaves us in a place where we do not have to figure it out. And you know what? That's his sovereignty. Figuring it out is his job. Figuring it out is his weight to carry. 
I stand before you right now. I'm done trying to figure it out. What is God going to do with my life next? I don't know. But I do believe that God is going to get it right. Do I know when the next thing is going to come? I don't know. Maybe I'll have to go through some trials and tribulations. Maybe I'll have to sit still a little longer than I want to. But it's not my job to figure it out. And I can guarantee you this. Most of us who try to figure it out, We are more busy than we are fruitful. But those of us who let God figure it out, we are more fruitful than we are busy. And I'm so proud of you as a church because I've been hearing about your journey. Ever since Jeff and his family got called, I've been hearing about your journey and you are allowing God to figure it out. Don't pick up that God-sized weight of trying to figure it out for yourselves. You can't figure it out. You won't figure it out. You're only going to go around in circles trying to figure it out. But God figures it out for them. And he sends this man from Macedonia and look at the urgency of this calling. And after Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia. And that lets us know that God's sovereignty, once he figures it out for you, you need to run through the door. God, you figure it out, and when you figure it out, I go. God, you figure it out, and when you figure it out, I don't try to bargain. God, you figure it out, and when you figure it out, I don't hesitate and procrastinate. If If you figure this out, and I know this is calling because your spirit is saying this is calling, then God, I run, and I go to that. And he says, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Don't preach it in Asia, but preach it to them in Macedonia. A lot of scholars say the reason why Paul was not able to go there is because he was sending Peters and others there. He had people, God was sending people there who were way more equipped for that part of the job. You are equipped as a believer for a certain part of God's will. You can't do everything, but you do something really well. And you need to be in sync with the Spirit to figure this out. But as we conclude, I want you to remember that Paul and his urgency for calling, he is just a penultimate example. But the ultimate example is Jesus Christ himself. Because when God sent Jesus down to earth, when this baby boy was born in a manger, when he walked this earth, he had nothing but urgency in his calling. In fact, we can say that Jesus is the one person who has walked this earth and has not wasted a minute on something that was not important and urgent and associated with his calling. And his calling was, listen, this is what I want you to do. And the time that God has sent you, now even Jesus Christ, God the Father is sovereign over this whole thing. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go to the cross for this people. Can you imagine Jesus saying, why can't I go to the cross for every single individual? And I'm going to get my doctrine here right. Jesus died for all, but all won't be saved. And Jesus knows who the all is that he died for. Jesus knows whose names are going to be in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus knows who's going to rejoice with him in heaven. Can you imagine Jesus saying, well, God, hold on, time out. I want him instead of her. Well, God, hold on, time out. 
I don't want to die on the cross when you tell me to die on the cross, God the Father. I want to go over here. God the Father, hold on, time out. I don't want them as my disciples. I want these as my disciples. No, Jesus didn't try to figure it out. God the Father left him on, put him on a mission, and he allowed the sovereignty of God to figure it out for him. And he walks this mission, and he dies on the cross. And you have an example before you right now that you know you can trust the sovereignty of God. Why? Because Jesus trusted the sovereignty of God the Father. And because he trusted the sovereignty of God the Father, you sit here with the privilege. Notice I said that privilege of having God being sovereign in your life. Because there's somebody walking around in Target right now. And sovereignty would have told them 15 minutes ago that the brand of the household cleaner don't matter. Just pick it up and go to church. But they still sitting there trying to figure it out. God, I got to figure it out. There's somebody in this region right here that is sitting in their apartment or sitting in their home and they're having an anxiety attack right now because they're trying to figure something out in their life and they haven't, they haven't figured out yet that there's a man named Jesus that you can hand this over to and he can figure it out for you and you can go to bed with peace and you don't have to worry about the next day. You don't have to drill yourself and try to get yourself to figure every step out and you have the privilege of having him in your life but he doesn't only want to do it for you he wants to do it for others as I conclude uh, my wife and I are coming up on uh, 10 years of marriage in March God yes thank you Lord Jesus I'm saying woo she's saying God thank you for your grace and your strength and your mercy to get through and we were having this conversation that we feel like and, and you, know, you know, the rookies always talk the, the most stuff about what they know. We only in the first 10 years. And we're like, we feel like after you've been through 10 years, once that 10 years happens, you just start a new marriage, right? 10, good, put that in the books. This is a new decade, right? You, we need to start it. There's some things about you 10 years ago that I did not know. You've changed as a person. And, and we feel as though there's this new fresh start after 10, and we're sitting here and we're, 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 we're working with each other and we're saying, yeah, we want to do that. We want to do a vow renewal and we want to start over. We want to start fresh at 10. Our marriage has been great, has been lovely. We want to keep some of the new things. But I don't want to love you in year 10 as I loved you in year one and you've changed so much. And as I was riding down here, I realized that you and uh, you guys planted in the same year that my wife was and I were married. And you are nine years now and you're going on your 10th year. And those of you who have been here from the start or those of you who have even been here through here halfway, you know you're a totally different church now than you were then. And that even though you have some bones in place, there's some structures in place, I think that God is getting ready to transition and begin to do some new things with you. And so it's not going to feel like the old 10. There are going to be some things that are going to bounce around. Some of you need to get this specialty and dive deeper in. Some of us need to allow God's sovereignty to lead us to be the church that he wants us to be and that we never thought we would be. So what I would say to you is that there is simplicity in God's sovereignty, but everything that's simple isn't easy. It's hard to live as if God is sovereign. Let him lead and as you submit like Paul and them submitted to the Holy Spirit and they didn't fight him to go to one place, they submitted and went into the places where he went. There's a sweetness in that submission. Submit to the Lord as you walk through this time. And I guarantee you, he will show you where your next stage of calling is. I guarantee you, he will lead you to the people that you need to help the most.
And I guarantee you, you'll be looking in here in year 12 and year 13, and you're saying, if we went that way, the way we were supposed to go, and did not go this way, the way God intended us to go, look at all the souls that might not be here because of that. Look at all the work that we might not have done because of that. Allow God to be sovereign. Remember that I before E after C, righty, tighty, lefty, loosey, and all those other simple things. They were made simple for you because they're not easy. But if you trust in God to do his work, the sovereignty will pay off for you in the long run as a church. Let me pray for us. Trust God are two of the easiest words to say, but two of the hardest words to live. God is sovereign is one of the greatest reminders that it will be okay, but one of the greatest challenges in trusting him and waiting for it to be okay. But God, I pray that this church right here will not try to figure it out for themselves, but they will allow their sovereign, your sovereignty to rule over them and to guide them to lead them and understand that transitions happens, that doors open and doors close, and that you will send them in whatever direction is most fruitful for your will, for your ministry, and which brings the most glory to you. And we thank you this morning that you've given us the Word, that you've given us the Holy Spirit, and that we don't have to figure it out for ourselves. Because if we had to, God, we don't know what we would do. I thank you for what you're going to figure out for them in the future. I thank you for your sovereignty that reigns over them. I thank you for the fruit that will come and the glory that will be given to your name for what you will do in taking this church into its new season. We believe in you. We trust you. We love you. We know that your sovereignty is simple. We want to rest in it. We know that submission is sweet. We want to live in it. And God, we pray that you will figure out all the rest for us. We'll do our job and be obedient to you, and we know you'll do yours. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we thank you. Amen.